Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. I was reading an article a little while back out of Christianity Today's site, and and um, a guy writes, three years ago, Mike, a 20-year-old newcomer to the faith, stepped into my church office, and he sat down on my office couch, distressed. What's going on, man, I asked. The fact that he was hiding something could have been more obvious. Well, he uttered, um, I've been smoking too much pot lately. Just too much, I asked with a wry confidence smile. Listen, friend, any pot smoking is too much pot smoking. It's illegal after all. Well, actually, it's not illegal for me. I got my medical marijuana card. Uh Uh-oh. And sure enough, he was legal. He had come by the license to toke fairly. He didn't lie or exaggerate to get it. He, we have newspapers in Portland printing advertisements from doctors. Headaches, nausea, pain, come get your prescription. I could get a prescription if I wanted one. Two blocks from our church's sanctuary is a lucrative legal pot dispensary. There are at least a dozen more within a five-mile radius. And it goes on to reflect uh, back in the, the 70s and 80s and 90s, just say no was kind of the answer to... to to the dealing with uh, drugs and, and all that. And, but now there's a new world and, and new circumstances that we're going through. Places like uh, Washington and Colorado, well, it's not only medical marijuana, but it's recreational. And, and, and this little fallback that we would have had, you know, someone dealing with this, we would say, well, it's illegal, so you can't do it which is probably an oversimplification. And that's where Ben, the author of this letter, reflects that that sometimes our approach is just, what's the simplest way I can get out of this situation or give the information that they need? But it raises all kinds of questions. What is right and what is wrong? Some will say, well, it's, it's a plant that's on this earth that God created, so... What do we do with that? What's right and what's wrong? And how do we get to those places? Because very often we, well, in our society, we we go based on consensus, right? What do people want to do? We put forums or we put up questions. We put uh, we put it out there. What do you think? Should this should this happen? And and if fifty one percent say yes, then it's yes, even though forty nine percent say no. But is it right or is it wrong? How do we get there? How do we decide what to do and, and how to, to do that? And how do we do that in, in faith within the church as we look to God and, and, and want to do the things that are good and that are right, that, that will honor the Lord within a society that sometimes doesn't want anything to do with that, will not use those kind of values. Well, fortunately, we have Peter, who writes to a culture 
very similar to ours. As he writes his first letter, he is writing to a people who are, are living in a land where pretty much anything goes. There's not a, 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 a religious orientation to the things that are going on in that world. They are living as strangers in a place that's far from them. He writes to people who in modern day, when what is now modern day Turkey, that are in places and towns where these small communities of faith have built up and, and they're trying to figure out how do we live this life out in a world which is against us. Because in fact, they were dealing with persecution in their days. And then what is, what is right and what is wrong? How do we determine how we do this? Living faithfully in intense times. Well, today we're going to continue on with that in 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and, and as we read, we're, we're going to start in actually verse 13, having looked at verses 1 through 12 last week. And, and really focusing there on the start to what it means to live faithfully. And, and one of the things we, we talked about then was that we have a living hope and an inheritance. And his focus on that whole section that precedes this is that we have a living hope and an inheritance from God, and this is what orients us first and foremost in living life. We, we look at it with the long view of what God has done for us forever. That the life that he offers us in Jesus is a life that it certainly affects us now, but it affects us eternally. There is something that we lean on and depend upon forever. This life we live in this body, it lasts for so many years. It varies for each of us, doesn't it? But there is eternity after that. And, and so the starting place is to remember the living hope and the inheritance. But as he continues, he wants to, con- to direct them towards what does it mean to live for God faithfully in this land? And so based on that, he starts in verse 13 and says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy... Be holy yourselves in all your conduct, for it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you are ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. 
the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. Uh, as Paul addresses this church in his letter to them, he, he has some directions for what it means, well, to live faithfully. And, and four things he comes up with there. One is, is hope, that we have a hope, and that's what continues to allow us to live faithfully. We pursue holiness. We have a fear. What does that mean? We'll get to that. And then finally, we love. And in directing us towards these ideas, living faithfully comes out of that. So the first thing he starts off is, and and it says uh, in verse 13, therefore prepare your minds for action. Uh, The the word picture there uh, comes from a a metaphor in the language, uh, girding up the loins of your mind is is what the phrase literally is. And uh, it would be a phrase, we, when we run, we wear shorts or sweatpants or something like that. And, but what, where they wore often in those days would have been robes or tunics or something like that. And, and if you needed to run uh, or to move around, um, that could get in the way. And so what they would, they would do is they would have a belt around them and they would take the bottom part of the robe and, and stick it in there, which would give their legs some freedom to move. So if they needed to, to get somewhere fast, they were ready because their tunic would have been tucked in and they were ready to go. And, and so he uses that concept, gird up the loins of your mind. Be prepared. Be in a place where you can respond to what you need to respond to. Are you prepared? How, how? Mentally be ready. As you think through how we live, be in mind that we face and live in a culture that is difficult. A second illustration, uh, which is translated here as uh, discipline yourselves. In other versions, it says be self-controlled. Uh, the word there is really be sober. What's the oppor- opp- opposite of sober? Well, it's drunk. And drunkenness is, by its, what it is, is, is being out of control. It's, it is not having all your senses. Some of them are dulled and some of your filters are gone so that you might say things while drunk that you didn't intend to or do things that you, you probably wouldn't if you were sober and in control of your faculties. And so in being prepared and being self-controlled, being sober-minded, what is his call? To set your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring to you when he is revealed. Uh, This really goes back to the passage last week, is the hope, the living hope that we have, the inheritance we have, is, is this thing we look forward to in the future. What God is doing and will continue to doing because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because of what he's done, but also as he comes a second time when he returns to make things right once and for all. That's what we anticipate and look forward, that God knows what's going on and he has a plan for this. And so our hope is, is in that. And so we, leave, we live ready for that. We live 
in control so we understand what's going on. Uh, this first step is, is having our hope set in the right things. The second thing is, is to be holy. He begins to direct them. Well, remember the, how you used to live uh, and, the, and the ignorance and the, and the sinful desires that you gave into. Don't conform to those any longer. And he points to a scripture out of the, the book of Leviticus in, in the Hebrew scriptures, which says, be holy as I am holy. Highlighting who God is himself is and, and what he is all about. And holiness is a, it's a word means to, to be set apart. I mentioned last week that we use the same word when we talk about holy matrimony. When, when, when a man and woman are married together, they, they're set apart. There's no dating anymore. They are set apart for one another. And as we come to faith in Jesus and we come to the followers of God, we are to be set apart. We have a focus that is different from previously. So those evil desires, which well, maybe sometimes we still have, well, we used to give in to those. He's saying, don't do that. But have instead your focus on God himself. And one of the things that we see in, in all of these different areas is that there's something behind what we do, how we choose, and how we decide. That it's, it's not necessarily the consensus of what everybody around us thinks, but something deeper. A standard that exists for us to look to and follow. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's our ethics or our, our behavior, good or bad, but our ethics within the family of God are based on God and, and our theology. That, that theology makes a difference. It matters. It's, it's, it's important. Uh, sometimes people think, you know, theology, I'm not a theologian. Oh, that's just for people at the seminary and they spend a lot of time talking about a lot of things. And uh, that's that's not what theology is to be. Theology, the study of God, that's something for all of us who have any connection with God. Haddon Robinson uh, writes this, If theology doesn't explain life, it's probably not worth the time it takes to study it or preach it. Theology is not some abstract thing we put on the blackboard or a whiteboard at a seminary and look at and argue about. Real theology is about how God intersects with our lives and how life looks when we take seriously that the God of the Bible is really there. And so our hope is based upon what Jesus did. And our understanding of Jesus is based upon the promises that came out of the Old Testament, the promises of the new covenant, the promises of the suffering servant, and, and all the things that it says that Jesus was going to do, that the Messiah was going to do. And our focus on character is not on what we think is right, but on God himself. On what he demonstrates and what he describes life is to be like. And so, as obedient children or children of obedience, probably the description here is, is not that uh, we're obeying all the rules, but we, 
we obeyed the one call, which was to receive Christ as Savior. Uh, the call came, follow me. And G the message comes through whatever source that you received that from. And you obeyed that call and you received him as your Savior and, and are, are living with him and their spirit is in you now. These are, are theological concepts and yet they are, they are things that hit us right in the road right now. This is where we're at. And he guides our lives. And part of that is to think about what does it mean for me to be holy? Again, holiness has, is this word which some people think is, 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 you know, is perfection in your life. But, but, but really, it's, it's where we put ourselves in a different place. And as he writes to these people in Pontus and, and Galatia and, and Bithynia, they're living in in exile, in a place that is not their home. They are foreigners in the land. And, and as they go through as a minority position in their lives, they're set apart anyways on some level. But because of their faith in Jesus, how they live and what they choose to do, well, they're very different. And he says, continue to live your life out in this manner of holiness. Next concept is to live in reverent fear, which eh, it sounds kind of weird, right? Why, why? I mean, if we were singing that song, Who the Sun Sets Free is Free Indeed. If I'm free indeed, what am I afraid of? But uh, it's not, as Scott McKnight would say, something about anxiety or dread, but it is the recognition that as we approach the God of the universe, whom we call Father, there is this connection relationship that's loving towards us, but he's also God. And because he is God and because he is holy, he is set apart, because his standard is, is the standard, we treat him with respect. Reverent fear is, is to give someone the respect that they need to because they have power and authority that is beyond what we can have. It's, it's the response that humanity makes to its creator. He's the one who made us and, 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 and put us in this place and, and gives us description of this is how life is to be lived. Not because I'm the killjoy that I, I just want to put stuff out there that, and then not let you enjoy it, but because I've put standards in there, I've put Barriers around some of the best things that I've created because they're so good and powerful and strong. I want the best for you. And so if you go outside of that, we'll call that sin because it's, the, it's bad for you. It hurts your hearts, your relationships. It hurts others. And so this is why I want you to follow what I say matters. And the one who comes up with that we respect reverent fear. And we have in this description uh, just an amazing uh, theological reflection. What is all that based upon? Uh, verses 17 and 18. Uh, Live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your ancestors 
not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the ages for your sake. Through him you have come to trust in God. He's giving us descriptions of how Jesus has done this. Uh, those with any kind of Jewish background or sense of that at all would understand that there was a sacrificial system and that, that they were doing. And, and the whole point of that was to atone for their sins. They had sinned against God, and how do you take care of that? Well, instead of you being killed, you take this a precious lamb and you offer it. It's something that's perfect and, and without blemish. And, and basically you're saying, this is what I deserve. And yet I, I give this up, and, and it's atoned for. It's, it's paid for. And now that whole system is gone, not because it was, was no good, but because the sacrifice of Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, was so perfect, it can't be beat. Once and for all, it is done and it is finished. And, and, and so there's nothing else. You were you saved by this imperishable thing, not by silver or gold, not by giving money, but by the work of Jesus. And that lasts. This is theology. And, and good theology is what shapes and directs us and how we live in this world today. It's the thing that matters. We find in the, the riches of Christ and all these promises that are so richly laden in the Old Testament scriptures and find their fulfillment. New life. It speaks about you've been born again, born anew. You have this new life that's come to you. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul would say, this is what you have now because of what Jesus has done. And then he finishes off this section by saying, now that you have purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, again, responding to the message to follow me from Jesus, so that you have genuine mutual love. Uh, he's describing uh, what happens to us when we become into relationship with God and the love that he offers to us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Paul says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We have received love. We sang about the love of God previously. And that, that helps us to love one another. There's almost feels a little circular here. It says, well, so you've been purified by your obedience to the call to follow Jesus, and, and that's given you mutual love. But then his exhortation is, so love one another deeply. <laughs> okay, if I'm filled with this mutual love, why do I need this exhortation to love one another deeply? Well, just take a look at around at the world and even the church. <laughs> Sometimes... We need help. Sometimes we need to be reminded that we need to love one another deeply and richly. Chuck Swindoll reflects on this. He, uh, a friend of his from when he was in the Marines 
came to faith. And it was one of those guys who he never thought would happen. Um, he said, I felt more than pleasantly surprised. I felt thoroughly shocked. He was one of the guys you never picture as having any interest in spiritual things. He cursed loudly, drank heavily, fought hard, chased women, loved weapons, and hated church. He and God were on speaking terms when I used to bump around with him. Then one day, years later, we ran into each other. As the conversation turned to his salvation, he frowned and put his hand on my shoulder and admitted, Chuck, the only thing I miss is that old fellowship all the guys in our outfit used to have down at this slop shoot, the base tavern. Man, we'd sit around, laugh, and tell stories, drink a few beers, and really let our hair down. It was great. I just haven't found anything to take the place of that great time we used to enjoy. I ain't got nobody to, to admit my faults to, to have them put their arms around me and tell me I'm still okay. And Chuck writes, my, my stomach churned, not because his words shocked me, but because I could only agree. The man needed a refuge, someone to hear him out. He needed the family of God, not, not a rehearsed, staged, impersonal production that too often passes for church. He needed the body of Christ, brothers and sisters of faith who will laugh with him, cry with him, understand and accept him, struggle with him, and suffer with him. When God's family forgets its call to authentic living and genuine love for each other, it fails to live up even to the camaraderie of a local bar. And that's a good word. Because we go through this together. We're called to go through this together. And to know that not one of us in here is perfect. Every one of us is going to stumble at some point along the way. We're at various stops and places in our walks with the Lord and with one another. And at some point, we failed it. You live on this island, it's a small island, and uh, people know your stuff, <laughs> and word gets to word gets to word, and everyone knows. And, and what do we do with that? When we hear well, one, of, one of our own is doing something they shouldn't be doing, or they're going through tough times, and you, you know about it. Peter's instructions here, love one another deeply. Because, again, and he centers this around what God has done. That what God has done is, is something that is in, he's put this imperishable seed within us. It's growing and developing. And, and that's what's counted based upon the word of God, the living and enduring word of God. And by word of God, he's not talking just merely of Scripture, but the gospel message that comes that God so loves the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not die but have life everlasting. The gospel of Jesus, that God loves you and me. And this word goes forth. And, and unlike people, who 
as he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, all flesh is like grass or all mankind is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. That word is the good news that was announced to you. That's what we look to and trust in and depend upon in our lives. What we believe and, and who we understand ourselves to be makes a difference. Let me finish with this story from Robert Fulham. One of his professors was a, a man named Alexander Papaderos. And uh, says, at the last session of, on the last morning of a two-week seminar on Greek culture, Dr. Papaderos turned and made the ritual gesture, are there any questions? And he writes, quiet quilted the room. These two weeks had generated enough questions for a lifetime. But for now, there was only silence. No questions, says he swept the room. So I asked, Dr. Papaderos, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> the usual laughter followed and people stirred to go. Papaderos held up his hand and stilled the room, then looked at me for a long time, asking with his eyes if I was serious and seeing from my eyes that I was. I will answer your question. And taking his wallet out of his hip pocket, he fished into a leather billfold and brought out a very small, round mirror, about the size of a quarter. And what he said went something like this. When I was a child during the war, we were very poor and we lived in a remote village. One day on the road, I found the broken pieces of a mirror. A German motorcycle had been wrecked in that place. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, but it was not possible. So I kept only the largest piece, this one. And by scratching it on it with a stone, I made it round. I began to play with it as a toy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine. In deep holes and crevices and dark closets, it became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible areas and places I could find. I kept the little mirror, and as I went about my growing up, I would take it out in idle moments and continue the challenge of the game. As I became a man, I grew to understand that this was not just a child's game, but a metaphor for what I might do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light, but light, truth, Understanding, knowledge is there, and it will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the darkest places of this world and to the black places in the hearts of men and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I'm about. This is the meaning of life. And then he took his small mirror and holding it carefully, caught the bright rays of daylight streaming through the window and reflected them onto my face and onto my hands folded on the desk. As we reflect upon how we live life and, and with that, Jesus, who says of himself, I am the light of the world, 
And as he calls to his disciple, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Our call in this is not to produce the light because the light is there. The standards of living and walking and living faithfully, those are there to be lived out and shined in our world. To live with hope because of what God has done. But to shine that hope into people's lives. To live in holiness before others. In, In setting ourselves apart, seeing that there's something deeper that directs and guides us. In living in reverent fear, recognizing that there is more than us that is out there. There is some, not thing, but someone whom we are connected with and whom we listen to when we follow and we receive. And then we love. Because we've been loved. And that shines through us into this world we live in. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the beauty of the sunshine coming in. But even more so for the sun that you've shown into our light, our life. May we see you, walk with you. Remember the hope that we have, that you've called us to be holy, that we respect and fear you because you're awesome, even while you love us and we call you Father. May we love one another deeply as your enduring word shines in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.